0: Uh, It's time to read the Bible now, and I'll be reading 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, and that's on page 281 of the Red Bibles. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly, or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire, full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry hunger no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honour. For the foundations of the earth are the lords. Upon them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the the horn of his anointed.
1: Um, If you want to uh, flick to uh, Matthew chapter um, 19, uh, uh, starting from verse 30, Um, which is found in on um, 1030. A bit husky as well. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them out to his vineyard. About the third hour he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long, doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call all the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and go to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, um, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it they began to grumble against the landowner. This man who, who are these men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered them uh, he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you did not you agree to work for a denarius take your pay and go i want to give the men who was uh, the, the men man who was hired last the same as i gave you don't i have the right to do what i asked uh, what i want with my own money or are you envious because i am generous so the last will be first and the first will be last.
2: A landowner went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard, and he agreed to pay them a fair day's wage, a denarius for the day, and sent them into his vineyard. It seems a pretty strange way to operate a vineyard to us. Surely you would put up the job advertisement on seek ahead of time Uh, people would search for that sort of work they would see the job description they would see the wage that's set there Uh, they would sign a contract and they'd be employed on some sort of permanent basis it seems sort of weird to us but it's normal it's normal in many parts of the world many of us have compassion sponsored children their parents what do they do they are sometimes employed as day laborers that's what it was like then and from what I've been told back in the 70s and the 80s, if you wanted to work at Riverston uh, Meats, uh, you would turn up there in the morning and some of you would get chosen and some of you would not. The story starts out normally, but then it gets weird. About the third hour, nine o'clock in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. It's weird even at this point because surely he's already employed the right number for the day. And it doesn't say he's gone out to hire more men. No, he went out and saw them standing around. And just by seeing them standing around, he just decides it would be a good idea to employ them. More workers for his vineyard. Third hour, sixth hour, ninth hour, he did the same thing. It's weird. Why does he keep on employing more workers? And then even at the eleventh hour, we're now talking 6 p.m. and the sun is going down. By the time they actually get started, they're barely going to do anything. Why hire these men? It's even more weird at pay time, isn't it? Verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. That's when it gets really weird. How much have they worked? One twelfth of the day. At the most, they deserve one twelfth of the pay, Is it that they worked especially hard? These are really great workers. I don't think so. I think the owner of the vineyard would hire the great workers first. These are the poorest, laziest workers who maybe didn't turn up. They slept in in the morning and that's why they're still waiting at the 11th hour. They haven't worked hard to deserve this. He simply decides to pay them a day's wage. Why? Verse 15, it's quite clear because he's generous it is a bizarre story isn't it and we're meant to think this is bizarre anyone here who's a business owner or has thought about running a business who's thought about being a farmer you just simply wouldn't do this it wouldn't work i mean what would happen the next day is anyone going to turn up to the marketplace at the beginning of the day Ready to get hired? No. You'd sleep in and turn up at the 11th hour knowing that you're going to get a full day's wage. It's just a dumb, stupid way to run a business. Is it that Jesus doesn't realise that? Of course not. But he's not telling a story trying to teach us how to run a business, is he? It's meant to be stupid. What's he trying to teach us about? Verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. Jesus is telling a story that is meant to be surprising, meant to be shocking, meant to be weird because his kingdom is an upside down kingdom. It reminds me of that parable of the prodigal son or the prodigal father. You know, the, the, he rejects his father, wastes all his inheritance, comes back, and the father simply welcomes him home and throws a party. Are you supposed to learn from that, that that's the way parents should always teach, uh, treat their children and their teenagers and their adult children? It's as simple as that, just welcome them back and throw a party. No, I don't think so. It's not about family relationships, it's about God. And this is not about business, it's about a generous God. I wrote a really great quote this week that really helped me understand it. It said this, If God's generosity was represented by a man, then that man would be different to any man you had ever encountered. Because God is an upside-down sort of God. He is generous beyond compare. It's his last will be first and first will be last upside-down kingdom. Who are these 11th-hour workers? Should we try and struggle to work out who here is an 11th-hour worker and who's a 9th-hour worker and a 6th-hour worker? No. If you're a Christian here tonight who trusts in Jesus, then you, like me, are an 11th-hour worker who doesn't deserve what you get. That's the gospel, isn't it? The wages of sin is death, what we deserve, and the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Don't get too lost in the parable in a way. Read the 11th hour workers and go, that's me. Now I know you really want to know about the early workers and are they being fair and grumbling, but we'll get to that in a moment. Just stick with the 11th hour workers. I want you to see and to feel God's generosity. I think of my own sin, my impatience, my frustration, my self-centeredness, my annoyance at other people, my pride. And I know that I deserve nothing from God. I don't deserve my next breath. Neither do you. And God keeps giving me a next breath and blessings in this life and eternal life. There are some Christians who this 11th hour Christian is close to home. It fits with your story. You ignored Jesus for years, you held him at arm's length, until finally you said, okay, I give in. We'll feel that. Add that to what everyone else has as well. Someone said to me once, it's too late for me, but there's still time for my kids, so I better bring them along to church. I told him what a lie that was. It's never too late, is it, with Jesus. And we need to see and feel that for ourselves, and we need to see and feel that for other people. Are you delighted when someone else gets forgiven? Do you see another Christian sin And are just overjoyed that they are forgiven that, just as you're forgiven your sin. You've got to see and feel God's generosity. And if you flip back for a moment to chapter 18, this whole section is about this upside-down kingdom. Jesus wants us to live this upside-down kingdom. And so do you see there, the disciples are so keen to work out who's the greatest. Jesus says, in my kingdom, you don't even get in unless you're like a little child. In other words, unless you're worthless and bring nothing because it's all about grace. And in my kingdom, you've got to be concerned for people, even those who wander off like the lost sheep. You've got to be concerned for people even when they sin against you. So concerned, so keen that they be forgiven that you help them to repent of their sin. And so you'd even forgive someone 77 times. You've got to see and feel God's generosity and you've got to live. God's generosity and it's my prayer that over these next 7 weeks in Matthew's gospel that we as a congregation and each of us as individuals feel that generosity though we are completely dependent upon it and we forgive one another indeed when we sin against one another we actually help one another to repent and be forgiven can you see and feel God's generosity. But that is not the main point of the parable, is it? Jesus could have finished after verse 9. It would be a great ending to the story. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So they walked home, delighted with their day's wage, and fed their families, saying, what a generous master is he. That would be a great story. But Jesus doesn't do that, does he? Verse 10. So when those who were hired first, when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of of the day. In the first part of the parable, I wanted you to see the beautiful grace of the generous master. The second part, the ugly grumbling of the ungracious disciples, actually. As I read this parable, it really reminds me again of that prodigal son story. Do you remember? There's the younger son who rejects his father, wastes it all, comes back and gets welcomed. And there's the older son who's been working hard all these years and thinks he deserves better, better than the younger son. Do you remember why Jesus told the story like that? Because the Pharisees were grumbling. Grumbling that Jesus was eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors. Here we are again. Grumblers. Grumblers at God's generosity. Maybe it's the Pharisees. Maybe he's having a go at the Pharisees again. Well, let's have a look. It's good to work out why Jesus tells a story. Have a look at the end of chapter 19. Can you spot the Pharisees? The answer is no. This parable is not against the Pharisees. He hasn't got a message here for the Pharisees. Who is his message for? Well, the disciples have just heard that the rich, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And they're shocked by this, wondering who then can be saved. And Peter says, speaking for them all, verse 27, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Can you hear what Peter's asking there? We've left everything. What are we going to get? Well, Jesus reassures them, actually, that they're going to get an awful lot. They're going to sit on the thrones in his kingdom. And anyone who's left something will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. He reassures them they will not miss out. But, he says, verse 30, listen to what Peter is saying. We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Is Peter thinking generosity from God? Or Justice from God. We have left so much. We deserve so much. And so Jesus tells a story. tells a story about a master with great generosity and with workers who grumble. Grumble at the master's generosity. Do you get the point? I think this is a great story for us. Because we know about the gospel of God's generosity. We know the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We know that it's not by works, but by grace. Yet we keep forgetting, don't we? And we keep thinking that we deserve so much from God. Life is all about deserving things, isn't it? You've got to work hard at school, you've got to work hard at work, and then you get your reward, And the advertising keeps telling us we deserve whatever their product is that they want us to buy and waste our money on. We think we deserve so much. And we forget that we deserve nothing. Peter says, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? We might say something like, I've stood up for Jesus at my school. What then will there be for me? I expect blessings. I've been faithful to Jesus in my family who who don't respect Jesus for years. What then will there be for me? I've been serving at church and no one notices. What then will there be for me? And we see other people not doing much, maybe. We hear of people becoming Christians on their deathbed. And think, why should they get the same blessing as me? As if living as a Christian is a chore and a sacrifice. And if you would smart, you'd become a Christian late in life, so you didn't have to endure it. That's ridiculous, isn't it? We keep thinking we deserve things from God rather than he's generous to us. To be honest, I can't remember most sermons that I hear. To be honest, I can't remember most sermons that I preach. It's a bit like eating, really. I've eaten so many thousands of meals in my life and I can only remember probably five of them. That's okay. You get well-fed every time. But I can remember one sermon on this passage. A couple of years ago, our previous minister, your previous minister, Sandy Grant, preached on this very passage. And I can remember it because of the story that he told. He told us about a chaplain, a chaplain to the Nazi war criminals at the end of the Second World War. The Nuremberg Trials, where these war criminals, these Nazis, these leaders, were put on trial and many of them sentenced to death. And this man, Henry Gerica, who'd been through the war and seen what the Nazis had done. He had put his hand on the stone wall of one of the concentration camps and the blood that had soaked in soaked onto his hand. He hated what the Nazis had done, but he agreed to be a chaplain, to try and share the gospel of grace with these men who didn't deserve it. Well, as they faced their twelfth hour of standing before God, a number of these men came to Jesus, repented of what they had done, and were forgiven. As they went to the gallows, they spoke of seeing Henry again in eternal life. Can you see? And feel how good that is, how wonderful that is, how delightful that is. Or are you troubled by it? Like the parable, the real point of the story, the real thing that I can remember from Sandy telling the story, was that after Henry died, about 15 years later, his son was going through his things and in his desk found a drawer that was locked. So his son found the key and unlocked the drawer and inside he found some papers that he'd never seen before. Page after page of hate mail. Calling Henry a Nazi lover, a Jew hater and all sorts of things. Some of them, I take it, written by disciples of Jesus. The ugly grumbling of graceless disciples. I wonder what would I have written at the time to Henry? What would you have written? What would you say to one of those forgiven Nazis if you get to meet them in heaven? How is it that God can have such justice, yes, and extraordinary grace for despicable sinners like you and me? Well, do you see what Jesus talks about straight after this story? We're going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed, condemned and crucified, verse 19. God's justice is going to be poured on him so that God's grace can be poured on us. And on that day when Jesus did that, Peter did not say, we have left everything to follow you, what then will there be for us? No, Peter would have said something more like, we've all deserted you to save ourselves. We deserve nothing. What then will there be for us? He would have got it right on that day. And it would be the same for us too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to delight in your generosity to us And delight in your generosity to others. So please change our minds and our hearts so that we know that we do not even deserve our next breath. Yet you are so unbelievably generous in the Lord Jesus. Help us to believe this and to love this and to live this way in your kingdom.